0: Honestly, I was like, I had an older boyfriend and we were like, let's move to Hawaii. And that was the plan. What? (laughs) And then we broke up like three, three months after I graduated.
1: You've never told me that. You know, mom listens to the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. Today is a special episode which was actually requested by folks in our community on Facebook. You've probably noticed that each episode of the show has unique artwork, including the guest and their element of choice. And if you listen all the way to the end of these episodes, you've probably heard me thank Emily Klaus for doing the artwork for this show. Well, as you may have guessed, Emily Klaus is my older sister. I love my family. I feel like I get closer to my parents and both my older sisters, Emily and Katie, every year. Emily and I have been close for a really long time, and honestly, I think a lot of my personality is attributed to Emily. She's hilarious, a total weirdo, and she paved the way for me to enroll at The Ohio State University when I graduated high school. We're millennials, so we grew up with the internet. We watched a ton of videos and got our sense of humor from World and HomestarRunner.com. In fact, if you recall from episode 7 with Val Geisler, I mentioned that Strong Bad actually answered one of Emily's emails on HomestarRunner.com.
0: Was a man named and he did his best for a while. Strong Bad. So, if you're so good with the ladies, how come I never see you, Danny? The only female I've even seen sitting <clears> to. <throat> the only female I've seen even near you is Marzipan. She doesn't seem to like you very much. Okay, bye. Emily C.
1: Wow. What are you talking about, Emily? Marzipan can't keep her hands off of me. So here's the thing. All of my friends who meet Emily pretty much immediately tell me, your sister is way cooler and funnier than you. And it's true. Today, Emily is a Los Angeles-based comedy writer and cartoonist. Her work can be found in The Onion, The New Yorker, Reductress, McSweeney's, American Greetings, and other more unspeakable places. She studied improv and sketch comedy at the Second City, I.O. Chicago, and the Pack Theater. She's a former member of the I.O. Herald team, First Kiss, and I.O. Comedy Network and improv team, Uncle Garbage. She's done some hilarious video work like this.
0: Right now, there's only one question on every American's mind. How many in the line of succession have to die before the president is finally Morgan Freeman?
1: Morgan Freeman and a lot of other video work that embarrasses our parents and felt way too inappropriate for me to play in the intro of this show. Before comedy, she graduated with a degree in social work and spent a couple years as a peace corps volunteer in Masindi, Uganda. And Emily hasn't done many podcasts.
0: I have done two podcasts. Well, okay, so they were both about like dating. These these were both like Chicago comedian podcasts and they were about dating because like, let's be real, that's the most interesting topic known to man outside of Elements of creativity, so...
1: (laughs) I'm going to... I I usually do, like, a deep dive on Spotify podcasts of my guests, and given that I know you pretty well, I didn't do that for this one, but I bet I could find it.
0: You could definitely find one of them very easily. The first crush that I wanted to talk about was my first celebrity crush. Yes. Who was Justin Burfield, who played Reese on Malcolm in the Middle. Do you know who I'm talking about? I think so. Is he... I didn't. I was, he was like the word. middle brother. Okay, that makes sense. And he was that like makes, the first person that I was ever like, "Oh my God, he's hot." He was like the yeah, bad boy. He he's was exactly. a troublemaker. Yeah. Okay. So he's a bad boy. I totally get it. Yes. But and this also was like the first time that I and looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I just consistently, even to this day, like we'll have crushes on people that I just want to be because, yeah. like. I found his, I got his like email address. This is a different time in the internet where oh you could God. actually like look things up and be yeah. really sleuthy. Yeah. I got his email address and I emailed him. And I was just like, instead of being like, I think you're so hot, like a normal person with a crush, I was like, How did you get an agent? How did you become an actor? <laughs> That's a good way in, though. (laughs) And then, well, that's also what I wondered. Yeah. Because, like, and I think I just didn't even realize. I was like, he's hot, and I want his life. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, he answered. And he (gasps) said, like, oh, like, my mom knew someone. Like, literally, like... (laughs) <laughs> the oh most God. child answer because we were in the, like fifth grade. And all, yeah, yeah. Like, so privileged privilege too. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And then he sent me a signed picture. So I like rushed home on the school bus and I was like, <laughs> I think the picture's going to get there today. And I didn't want my parents to find out. So I was like checking the mail. And, yeah. Like, I like hid it under my bed.
1: Since Emily's had such an impact on both this show and my life, I thought I'd bring her on. And actually, I learned a lot about her that I didn't know before. In this episode, we talk about our childhood, her interest in drawing, moving to Chicago, Uganda, and LA, and why holding space to explore her interests have led her to pursue a career in comedy writing. I'll be sharing some of her weird videos this week in our Creative Elements listeners group on Facebook, so join us there if you haven't already. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jclaus. Just snap a screenshot of your episode and tag me to let me know that you're listening. But without further ado, let's hear from Emily.
0: I was born and raised uh, in Coldwater, Ohio. I have an older sister and younger brother. So I was the middle child, which I do feel like outside of our family bullying me about that fact, it probably does have a lot to do with like how I am, how I am. But yeah, I mean, I think that I've always been someone who likes trying hard and enjoys being productive. And I do think that is, you know, a family trait. There's simply no denying it. Um, and when I was in, when I was younger, I drew every day. I don't think like my days felt complete unless I had, a uh, Okay. So we, what we used, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you even did this. And
1: this is why this is interesting to me because I don't remember much of our childhood (laughs) and I don't know why, but yeah, this is, this is why this is interesting to me.
0: Yeah. So like Katie and I had these hard back kids books. That for at some point, the covers were taken off. And I'm guessing like mom did this, like she took the covers off or they fell off. I don't know if we had the actual books, but we just had the covers. They're like hard covers. And like Katie and I used those as like our tables on the couch to like draw on. So you know, you just get like computer paper and like use those hardback book covers. (laughs) And like those were usually illustrated. I don't remember what the books were or like what was on them, but I think they were like illustrated with like characters or whatever so it was like as soon as we sat down you know there was like inspiration right there on our lap so I remember drawing a lot from like how to draw snow white kind of books there was a program on PBS that I was real obsessed with that was like how to draw um imagination station I
1: remember that yeah I do remember, do remember
0: that. that yeah <laughs> The guy's thing, like, I can't remember the guy's name, but his whole thing was always like, and this guy's over here, and oh no, his contacts flew out, and he'd draw, like, little contacts, like, flying away.
1: What? I don't remember Which is really
0: creative and original, like, for a guy's contacts. First of all, nightmare scenario. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really cute. I
1: seem to remember... He was always and maybe this is something else, but I seem to remember uh, some drawing thing that we watch when we're younger and they're always harping on like the eyes are lower on the head than you think. They're always like, here's how you draw a line down Mm. the center and then across and the eyes are actually way lower on the head than you would expect. And that's like the one thing I remember about drawing people's faces.
0: I wish that I had that in my head because so much of the time when I edit my drawings in Photoshop, I do move the eyes down because they're like just floating way above on the forehead for some reason.
1: Well, there we go. Yeah. So, okay. So um, you and Katie are drawing.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I always liked drawing. It just felt like a part of myself. It just felt like something I, I did a lot. But then like high school came around and I took art classes and I really, really loved them, but I just kind of like dropped off. And then like my whole college career, like didn't really make anything, didn't really write anything. I guess another big thing that like stood out that was pretty formative was taking AP English. Mom did not teach that class, by the way. Start for a different time. Uh, Listeners, I had uh, my mother for a whole year of English uh, in high school. I did too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Have you said that on the podcast before?
1: Uh, I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but it comes up a lot.
0: You're going to have mom on one day. I know you will. I will.
1: Uh. (laughs) Well, one thing that I remember about college, you were the first in the family to not go to Ohio Northern. You went to Ohio State specifically. How did you, why did you choose to break that family trend?
0: Yeah, I really wish that there was like a really huge answer to this, but basically I had to choose three schools to send my ACT results to. And I had visited Ohio University, Ball State. I don't think I had even visited Ohio State yet. I might be misremembering this, but I remember mom and dad being really scandalized that I had my ACT results sent to Ohio State. And That was just me kind of like on a whim being like, I kind of want to like move to the big city. And I had a couple of friends who were going to go there, so it didn't seem so crazy to me. And I think in my heart, I always knew like, I think I'm going to have to like go here because my imagination didn't stretch far enough to like go to some like school in New York or like, you know, didn't stretch far enough to really think too far outside of like Ball State in Indiana. But I was like, I think I need to, like, do something crazy <laughs> to grow as a person and to, like, really, like, I don't know, not be restricted. And I, I had a friend in high school once who said, I just want to, like, know everything. And I remember when she said that, I was like, yeah, like, what if I just, like, knew everything? <laughs> and of course, it's not possible, but it was like, why limit myself? Why not, like, kind of stretch um, a little further? I don't know. I was talking to someone recently and they were like, what if I like applied to Harvard Law? And I really started thinking when I was applying to schools, no, I did not even know. I don't even think I knew what like Ivy League was. Right. So when it came time to like apply to schools, it was just kind of like where in Ohio?
1: Yeah. Should I
0: apply? Do you relate to that?
1: Totally. I think back and I don't remember <laughs> ever thinking about outside of Ohio. And not even saying that, like, necessarily I I should have or that's like an obvious miss or anything. But I just don't remember ever thinking that broadly or even thinking about, like, the jobs that my friends' parents had. You know, like, I feel like I, I was very much stuck on, like, there are like, 10 jobs out there. And I just got to figure out which one of those 10 jobs that I want to do for the rest of my life.
0: 100%, for sure. I mean, when I heard about social work as a job, I was, my, like, mind was blown because I was like, oh, this is, like, exactly what I have been thinking about that I like want to do. So that's why I ended up majoring in social work. How did
1: you, Yeah. How did you come into that? Where did social work come into play and, and how did it ultimately fall out of play?
0: Okay. So I started out as a psychology major as I think like the most people that go to Iowa State and probably all universities do. And I was interested in psychology because I loved the class in high school in addition to AP English, right? Oh, I was going to say I loved writing just like 20 page papers about like one single book. I loved psychology in high school, but I mean, everybody likes psychology because you feel like you understand yourself a little better. You understand other people better. The brain is a fascinating organ. So uh, I started out there, but then I really struggled with neurobiology. It was like learning this other language and I just didn't like have the motivation at the time. And I just like was struggling with it. And I was like, I don't, for what I want to do, which is like help people... (laughs) I was like, I don't want to know about like, I I can't even name drop an example, like GBA connecting to the TSA. Well, no, that's not real. But so then I I found I was like Googling around of like, how do you like be a therapist without going to school for it? (laughs) And social work was an option. It was like, oh, actually, if you even get your undergrad, you can kind of, in essence, be a therapist. You can if you get higher degrees, you can straight up be a therapist. This is what Google said verbatim.
1: Did you feel trapped by trying to get out in four years when you're making these decisions? Or was this like truly where you thought you were trying to go?
0: I did not want to be in school for longer than four years. I don't know. I don't know what I wanted to do, but I needed, I wanted to like wrap it up. Even when I graduated with my undergrad, Ohio State had a program where you can get your master's in social work in one year, which usually it takes at least two. And so most of my colleagues went that route and I was just like nope like I just never I barely even thought about it it's not even that I wanted to join the workforce I just like wanted to like be an adult
1: yeah what did that look like because it wasn't like you were saying I got to get my comedy career started at that point
0: no not at all I mean I honestly I was like I had a an older boyfriend and we were like let's move to Hawaii and that was the plan what (laughs) and then we broke up like three three months after I graduated
1: you've never told me that You know, mom listens to the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He and I's (laughs) plan was to move to Hawaii. (laughs) What? For just for fun. Just for fun.
1: Yeah. Not even like visit first? No. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay.
0: But to be fair, I like didn't really visit Chicago before I moved there or Uganda.
1: After a quick break, Emily and I talk about her moves to Chicago and Uganda and how they eventually directed her towards comedy right after this. Welcome back. To this point in the conversation, I was playing a little bit of catch up on Emily's life, leaving our hometown and going to college. I was still in high school and we'd never really talked that much about what her college experience was like. And she told me that throughout her college experience and even after college, she had gotten into a habit of giving herself space to explore her interests and question the paths she thought she might take, starting with her degree in social work.
0: My last year of college, I had a social work internship and it was at an outstanding organization. The women who worked there were incredible. They were—they just really took me under their wing. I mean, they went out of their way to make me feel comfortable, to help me out. I got clients. It was really, really tough. It was super hard. The clients that we had had—they were at this specific agency because they had coexisting diagnoses. Just to like generalize. And it was really tough. And as a 21, 22 year old, I kind of like was in over my head and I was like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life for like terrible money? And I think my, I don't know what you call it, my idea of myself as being like a really altruistic, like person that's really capable of like giving myself to others that much was shattered a little bit. And it was like, it was a big, it was a big growing up moment. But then I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? (laughs) I wasn't consciously like, I don't think I'm going to pursue a career in social work. That was never a a real serious thought. But I was like, I need to figure out an easier way than an agency like this. That's for sure. And the other options are like hospital. And I was like, I don't want to work in a hospital. It smells and it's like sad and scary. And it was like school. And I was like, I never wanted to be a school teacher because I just didn't seem like the route I wanted to take. And so I was like, I don't want to be in a school. I was like, "Uh oh, (laughs) and then so I graduated, worked for a few months at my campus job, which was great and cushy. Then um, my friend got me a job at a cafe. Shout out North Star. I'll I'll name drop this time. North Star Cafe in the short North (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Great cafe, one of the best.
0: Everybody loves it. It was a good time. I mean, it was like a good post-college job because a lot of people were post-college and young and you know, went out went out a lot and everybody's got to work in food service. It's a rule. So
1: And at this time, thinking back, I remember you you went through like some other creative projects where like at one point. I gave you a friend of mine's drum set. You were learning the drums and then you were doing like the 48 hour film project every summer. So like what was going on in that part of your mind that you were just like needing to create something.
0: Okay. You're good. Yeah. I like forgot about these things. Um, yeah. So I drum set that was during college. That so was like in my college house, that was me again, just wanting to like branch out, learn more. See what's up. I was really into the local music scene at that time, too, like going to a lot of shows and stuff. And I was like, maybe I could like be Meg White. She's not that good at drums. And that was super fun to like, wail on those puppies. And then my sophomore year was when I met our our friend Evan. And so he was an animation major at his school. And he had just moved to Columbus and needed friends. And he and I became really, really good mm-hmm. friends. And we met because of uh, a club I was in throughout college called the film and video society. And we made a lot of shorts. We actually made a web series before I think the word web series was really even used. It was called college with a K.
1: I don't remember this. I don't remember you were in a film and whatever group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. We went to Sundance. uh, What? Yeah. It was super fun. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I met a lot of really cool people. Actually, a lot of those people live in LA now. And like, I, I hit one of them up when I moved here and I got to hang out with them. It's been so long.
1: That's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know you went to Sundance.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, that was me. Well, my roommate was in this film and video society. She was like really into film, which I really wasn't like, I loved TV a lot. I watched a lot of TV, but movies, not really so much, but I was like, this sounds fun. I love making stuff. I love the idea of like making stuff. And it was, it really was, it was really fun. And people, in that group, were like really serious about film, studying it, analyzing it, making it. And I was just kind of along for the ride. And at the time, I was like, I I might act. I might be an actor. So I was like auditioning for stuff there. Oh, I auditioned for the Vagina Monologues at Ohio State. I did that one year. That was really fun. So yeah, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'm like going to act because you don't really have to. I was like, maybe I can just like be good at it. Like, of course, you should study. I'm not saying you don't have to, but I was like, maybe I could just naturally be good at it and like audition and stuff.
1: Well, hold on. Am I oblivious or did you just never talk about this stuff?
0: I might not have. I mean, considering film and video society was kind of like just something I was doing with friends, At you know, in a certain way. It was a club. It was an official club, but it was kind of also just like it around with friends. Although it was also kind of a lot of work. Like when we were filming that web series, we would start shooting at like 8 a.m. on a Saturday, which was, you know, like 3 a.m. in adult Times So
1: <laughs> at what point I know this is before you went to the Peace Corps, you started doing standup. Why did you decide to start doing standup?
0: Oh, so to mention Evan again, he started doing standup at, uh, what was it? Scully's? Mm-hmm. No,
1: no, not no, Scully's. no, no. Uh, no it Surly
0: wasn't girl. Scully's. Surly girl. Yeah. They had uh, open mic night like once a week. He started doing it. I was like, I can do this, but why? Hmm. I think I just like always fancied myself kind of a funny person. I don't know if there like is a why. I just decided to do it a few times and I had a couple friends who were like supportive. Like my friend Sarah came every single time I did an open mic, I think it was just in the back like, (laughs) you know, and then we got to hang out afterwards. So it was just like something to do. (laughs) Okay. I actually do know how I got into comedy. I got obsessed with SNL when they aired the 25th anniversary special, which was in 2000. So in the year 2000, when I was like 12 or 13, Katie taped like the 25th anniversary special. And so it had all these like best of sketches from all of SNL time. And I, the sketch that got me super into it was this Gemini's twin sketch, which was like Anna Gasteyer and Maya Rudolph and um, like always like a guest. And they were like this girl group that was kind of like Destiny's child or whatever. And they were, I just thought it was so hilarious. And I got a big crush on Jimmy Fallon. And then got like really obsessed with Tina Fey as they were hosting Weekend Update in that era. I even like would read fan fiction online of Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey like having an illicit affair, like <laughs> backstage. Um, and so I got really into it. And I I think I was in like sixth grade or something when I got so flabbergasted to find out that the way the show worked was there were these other people who were writing sketches in addition to the actors I knew it wasn't like improvised but I figured it was just like the players that you see wrote the sketches which is true to some degree but there are also other writers when I found that out I was like oh my gosh I was like this is the coolest thing I've ever even heard of like that's your job and I think it was like my sixth grade planner a lot of girls would like make their own little cover for their planner and like have like Justin Timberlake on his up. Mine was like a printout of the cast of SNL. <laughs> and I remember my teacher, I can't remember her name, but I remember my teacher like seeing it and being like, what's this about? And being like, I love SNL. And she was like, cool, cool.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. Listeners, you don't know this, but we didn't have cable growing up. So our TV was like regular network television, which SNL was actually part of, which is nice. That and like, the Simpsons and really bad Fox nighttime TV, like Boston Public,
0: uh, and Mad TV. I also oh love yeah. Mad
1: TV. yeah yeah yeah. If you were looking at SNL in sixth grade and you were just like very casually maybe doing video stuff in college and then starting to do stand up, it seems like there was a period in there where like that dream kind of died or you just weren't paying attention to it anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I really just chalk it up to being a teenager and just I think I was just like mostly focused on friends and socializing and in high school yeah and then actually through college I didn't even watch too much tv in college I don't think and I definitely wasn't like writing or anything I think it was just doing schoolwork and like having friends and roommates and just being around people all the time but that is until probably like my senior year of college which is uh, when I discovered graphic novels and started checking out like Every graphic novel I could possibly find from the library and just sitting on my porch and like drinking Mike's hard lemonade and reading (laughs) graphic novels. And then that got me into being like, I'm going to like draw again. I think my first one that I drew was called A Hippie in Hell. And it was just like all these, it was all these frames of what it would look like if a hippie was in hell. I don't remember exactly what the punchlines were, but um, I drew it because I had looked into like the local comic scene and I gotten in touch with a guy and he was taking submissions for something. And so I submitted it and then he rejected it. And then I asked for feedback <laughs> and he like was nice, but kind of tore it apart. And I was like, yeah, well, I think I got a lot to learn. Yeah. And started getting back into that you know, in the months uh, leading up to graduation and then ending that relationship and then like starting to apply to the Peace Corps.
1: Were your college friends supportive of this? My college friends were not at all supportive of me trying to do anything that wasn't like drinking.
0: Yeah, it was like the end of college. So it was just these times where I would just be like, I'm going to my room and I was getting kind of like angsty because like things were changing. And my best friend probably like had a relationship anyway, so she's probably somewhere else. And I would just like be in my room, like trying to like come up with how to draw different characters. Like I remember I started planning this graphic novel about like the apocalypse, <laughs> you know, and it's like, Oh, maybe they're like, they look weird. Cause of radiation. And I was just like doodling, but then abandoning the idea because it was way too ambitious. And I didn't know what I was doing at all.
1: Well, I remember you getting back from the peace corps and being like pretty sold or like pretty convinced. You're like, I'm going to do comedy. And I remember being So like surprised and like I didn't know what to make of that or like what why so what happened in the Peace Corps that that became the thing?
0: Yeah, I think I always was still kind of that sixth grader obsessed with SNL, and so the story with that was I ended a relationship, and it was just something that I I like had wanted to do for. I don't know, probably like a year or something, not super long. But since I heard about the Peace Corps, I was like, that sounds like something I would like to do. It would be, again, like trying to be true to this version of myself that was really out there and like tried new things, but also was like uh, kind of like a, a person who cares about other people, I guess. And I knew that if I was going to do it, I should do it like right then because it would get harder later, which was honestly true. So before I went, I started looking into plan B's because the admission rate into the Peace Score isn't like 100% by any means. I don't know what it is actually, but so I was like, what's my plan B? And I had heard that there are these comedy theaters in Chicago, like Second City. And that's where like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and all of those people like got their start. And I was like, I can go. I can take writing classes. I can like become a comedy writer. And so that was my plan B if I didn't get into the Peace Corps, but then I did. And then when I was in Uganda, my last probably even like year, you know, I was like, what am I going to do next? (laughs) What am I going to do after this is over? And I was like, I should just, I should just do what I was going to do if I didn't get into the Peace Corps and just like move to Chicago and take writing classes. And then when I got to Chicago, the writing classes didn't start for like three months, But improv classes were starting in like a few weeks. So I was like, I'm just going to sign up for an improv class first. Maybe I'll make some friends. And then I'll do writing classes like after that, because I'm sure I will get more than the part time job I currently have (laughs) and be able to afford this. Um, And it worked out super well because I met like so many amazing dear friends to this day uh, in that improv class.
1: Well, when you got back from Uganda... You introduced me to podcasts, actually. I didn't know what podcasts were. didn't know anything about podcasts. But you said that you had been listening to You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes while you were in Uganda. And that was my first podcast to start listening to. Still listen to it. I love it. How did you find podcasts and why did you choose that one?
0: I wish I could tell you how I found podcasts. But again, this was before Peace Corps, probably post-college. I had some friends who were also into podcasts. Maybe they introduced me. I don't really know. But um, I had a friend who introduced me to Comedy Bang Bang which I also still kind of listen to to this day, which is so crazy. It's like I'm listening to the same podcasts that I did like mm-hmm. 10 years ago. But I don't know how I found You Made It Weird. I bet I like Google the list of podcasts to listen to, no joke. But th- they were a huge thing for me in the Peace Corps because it was really like my connection to American culture, but also my comedic aspirations, my creative aspirations, because podcasts like Pete Holmes, I mean, he, especially back then, You know, now he talks a lot about like, um, I I don't know what he would even call it. Wellness, emotional well-being and stuff like that. But back then he was like talking about like the hustle of stand up pretty much exclusively. Mm. And it was like it always really lit my fire. And then Comedy Bang Bang is an improv podcast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're like doing characters and making up entire scenarios right there. So it was like really huge for me to feel grounded in that part of myself while living in in, like the remote village.
1: When we come back, Emily and I dive deep into what it looks like to get a job writing in comedy, and we answer some questions from the Creative Elements listeners group too, right after this. Welcome back to my conversation with Emily, my sister. After Emily got back from the Peace Corps in Uganda, she moved to Chicago to take writing and improv classes. Now she's out in LA, so I asked her what it looks like to get a job writing in comedy. Do these classes help you get a gig right after you graduate? oh my God. And
0: <laughs> I wish they did considering how much money it takes to take classes. No. So I took, once I got into that improv class, I kind of just like got hooked on improv and I barely took any writing classes. So I got into that class, met my best friends. We formed groups. We did shows. We were just improvising. Improvising is writing on stage, like live, right? But you don't have the burden of looking back at what you wrote and having to revise it. <laughs> so it's really great if you want to just like have fun and Have PBRs after the show. I did take writing classes though, I will say. So I was writing a lot. I was like writing sketches for shows. I started trying to figure out how to like write for internet stuff. So at some point I came across Reductress and was like, this is the funniest website I have ever seen in my life. And uh, I started getting stuff accepted there, started contributing to The Onion, which was huge. That was through like a friend of a friend. She helped me out. I would like to just be transparent. People are always like, how do these things happen? Uh, So they were starting up their video segment again. Onion Video has come and gone. It's a a lot bigger budget you can imagine. So it also depends on like who owns the Onion at the time and whatnot. So Onion Video is coming back. Person uh, of a person that I know, like knew the guy who was heading it up, I think recommended me. I submitted a packet. I got in. Looking back on that packet, I don't know think it was very good. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know how much of it was like actually like a favor. I just want to be transparent about that. But it worked out. I started contributing a lot. I got stuff taken, you know. I got invited to write full scripts for like video pieces and stuff, and so it was just like the best experience ever. And kept doing improv shows. My friends would like write plays and I would like be in their plays.
1: What is a packet?
0: So a packet is a writing sample that you submit. So it depends on what the show or publication is, what they want in that packet. But The Onion, for example, it was a bunch of headlines. And then since it was video, it was also like a full script of a segment, but they didn't really have like, oh, this is what it's gonna be. Cause they didn't, I don't think they quite knew what the new iteration was gonna be yet. But like for a late night show, for example, you also submit a packet and that'll be like a page of monologue jokes. Example ideas of like desk bits, like so, you know, the bits they do at top. like uh, Jimmy Fallon does like the thank you notes and then maybe some other stuff too. So it just kind of depends on the show. But you, usually that's what you submit um, to show like, oh, these are topical jokes. So I just wrote it. And also like it's in the format of what I would potentially be writing.
1: How do I submit a packet? Do they have like job openings on their website that you're just looking for? And then you say, oh, I want to apply that one. And you send in a packet. Dude, you're asking
0: all the right questions for like someone who just moved to L.A., which is me. Um, (laughs) So uh, typically your representatives, I don't know why I said the full word. People just say reps. It's because I don't have any. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Usually your reps, so your agent, manager or whatever, literally barely know. They usually acquire them because they are professional people who get these calls from the shows. However, there's also an underground pipeline. (laughs) So sometimes people will get like writers will get these packets and then they will send them to their friends, which is how I've gotten a few. Uh, actually, no, that's how I've gotten any that I've ever gotten. But that is how I've gotten a few. For example, the Onion that wasn't published. Um, the Onion actually does have fellowships that they publicize to the public. But this one in particular, they actually didn't. And so uh yeah, you gotta, you gotta just like know people and they have to be like, I'm going to send this to you. I mean, it's really nice. Even if it's like, I'm actually going to submit to the show, but also here you go friend. I mean, it's kind of totally. beautiful.
1: Yeah. And I'm asking these questions because I've, I've gotten to see a little bit of this and I don't think that people like really understand what it's like to try to get a job in these places. Cause it sounds nearly impossible.
0: Well, the good thing about these packets, a lot of times it will be blind reads. So you don't have your name or anything on there. So they don't know that you don't have reps or that you don't you know, have a ton of experience necessarily until they look at your resume that you also send. But, you know, they're at first, the first stage ostensibly is just like reading the packets and being like, this one's funny, good pile. Mm. So in that way, it does even the playing field.
1: So what does it look like to break through into this world? Because you're, you're not you're not writing for TV full time yet. What would it look like for that to actually occur for somebody? Mm.
0: We should have like a third mic so I can ask them these questions and listen as well. Um, So there are a few ways. So I moved to Los Angeles a year and a quarter ago because in Chicago, I was there for like five years doing, like I said, tons of like shows and writing a lot. But there really isn't a writer's market there. There is a performer's market. Like you can do shows. You can have a really great time. You can get on the main stage of Second City. But if you want to be like a TV writer there's you literally can't do it in Chicago you could move to New York as well there are some shows in New York but I was like I'm just gonna make this move I'm saying it like it was easy it was actually agonizing for months but (laughs) I was like I'm just gonna move and I don't know how to break in but I know that it exists there and so if I'm gonna try I should go there and my plan was just like well hey I moved to Chicago not knowing anyone and I made a lot of friends and wrote a lot of stuff and took classes and like did shows so maybe I'll just like do that in LA too so writing wise, from what I hear, <laughs> the most common paths are submitting packets like this. Boom, you can get hired uh, on a show. A common thing that people do is become a writer's assistant. So that's like someone who's in the writer's room with the writers, but is basically like taking notes and uh, keeping the room going so that the writers can just focus on like throwing out the ideas and someone else is there clacking away. A lot of times these writer's assistants will get promoted on that show. You know, if people like them, if they read their samples and they enjoy them, if there's an opening, sometimes it never happens. Sometimes it takes years and years and years. Other ways are you get reps and your reps know people, but you would still have to submit to write for that show. Right. So you would submit like an original pilot that you wrote, or perhaps a spec of that show or a different show, probably a different show. So from what I can tell, it's really like, no, know, know some people.
1: <laughs> you've put a lot of time into making a bunch of stuff, whether it's like on Instagram or Twitter or for the onion and Reductress and McSweeney's like you've, you've made a lot of public facing stuff. Is that part of the path to getting reps? So it's like a necessary part of getting a rep to possibly breaking in. Or is that like you kind of hedging and trying multiple ways of getting attention?
0: I think like both. For me, it was like, I like the process of making stuff. It d- also depends on what we're talking about. I do make a kind of a wide variety of stuff just because they're like all my little children and I like love them for how who they are individually and like what they bring to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for example, like a one frame comic on Instagram, that's just because I, I want to do it and I like drawing and I like getting likes, right? And I like making people laugh. But something like getting published in reductress or getting published in the new yorker
1: i'm a little i'm
0: i both feel good about that for myself and i'm like this is something to show for myself so it really is both things i it's not like i've ever heard of anyone getting reps from like make <laughs> getting reps kind of sounds funny like i,
1: know, you, you, rips you, that's what I think <laughs> but people talk about that in the like the the world of creative anyway because it's like you just need to get practice like you need to make stuff
0: getting reps for getting reps yeah no it's true like
1: (laughs) get reps to get reps put it on a shirt
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean it's so it's really both it's like i want to do it and i like being prolific like someone had called me a prolific once and i was like "Mm." like oh it fits like a glove like i really enjoyed that i like being prolific but certain things i do specifically for future potential jobs and attention like I have written this year I've written three original pilots and that is specifically to get writing jobs and those are not I'm not going to like put those on the internet because like it just took way too much work and it's private like (laughs) you know
1: Callie in our Facebook group asked if you make stuff with certain audiences in mind or you just make what you think is funny and you think it will find an audience
0: oh I love that question thanks Callie um, both. I think in the back of my mind, there is a group of select people that I will be like, this is for them. And there are people throughout my life, There are even some people that like, I don't even keep in touch with anymore, but it's a certain sense of humor. And it's like, I could, I could see them enjoying this. But in a way that's almost like for myself too, because they are part of my sense of humor. So it makes that part of myself laugh. And and sometimes I do make stuff for a specific audience in mind if it's <laughs> commissioned,
1: and Kelly, also in the Facebook group, who has told me before in that group that she loves just seeing like what the image for the episode every week looks like. She wanted to know what your process looks like. How do you actually do the illustrations for creative elements?
0: Oh, that's a great question too. It depends on the guest and what I know about them or what I can find about them. Some people I don't have to think about it at all. Like your next episode, it was just like a no-brainer of like something that I was going to do for him, right? Right. Some people it's like, I have to like conceptualize their element and like who they are and try to like extract this meaning. You're you're talking about visualization. Yes.
1: You're saying that was a no brainer.
0: That one was like a no brainer because he makes art himself. So it's like, oh, I'm just gonna, and it's something I can easily copy (laughs) like the stick figures. So it's like, oh, I got to like include that in here. But sometimes when it's like, I was trying to, there was, one, oh, curation, for example. That was, the word was really popping off the page to me. And I was like, I want to embody curation, but like, man, like how? Sometimes I will even Google image search a word like that to get inspiration. And then sometimes I'll see some that are like perfect. And I'll be like, <laughs> should I just deal <laughs> with this? And if anyone out there sees something that looks very similar to something you could Google image search, it is coincidental because I actually would not be able to live with myself if I just straight up stole Something like that.
1: What about the actual drawing process? How do you do? How do you get it from your head into a digital file?
0: I go click pencil. Big fan of click pencil. What is that? On computer paper. Oh, <laughs> like uh, one of these mechanical, oh, a
1: mechanical pencil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mechanical pencil on computer paper. Uh, one day I will actually upgrade. I'm going to like get an iPad and procreate. But for now, nah. And then I use... Ink pen. I actually have a few different kinds that I use. I can't name drop right. But I do all uh, especially like Graphic. And then I do have to erase it. And I also use Click Mechanical Eraser. Love these. Mm, The best. mm -hmm. Yeah. Elementary School Vibes. And then I, yeah, pen it in, erase it. And I scan it in. Did recently get a better scanner, which has changed my life.
1: Faster or higher quality?
0: Higher quality. Oh, outrageously. Better, it just makes everything. It's like the DPI is higher and everything. It's like so great. And then I plug it into Photoshop and I actually hand color everything in Photoshop. With the ink drawing, you can't really use the paint bucket too much.
1: How long does it take you to go from beginning to end on one of these?
0: Average hour and a half. If I'm like really feeling it and it's like simple, occasionally I'll just draw your guest and that's it, and not not a lot of other bells and whistles around their element. That maybe like an hour. Yeah, hour and a half.
1: Well, it's very fun and it makes the show way better because you do it. So thank you. And if you were breaking a TV, I know you'll fire me and that's okay. But I hope it's not.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love doing the the illustrations, by the way. I mean, it's been really fun to like get better at actual portraiture. That's something I never really have done that much of and really try to get them to look like that. Like when it really looks like the person, I feel really happy about that. Like to make it in my own style and look like the person is satisfying and thank you also for saying i'll fire you because who works for who here i don't know
1: well but i don't know <laughs> I, f- I feel like i'm getting I'm, I'm i'm uh i don't know i feel like you are doing uh, a lot of work on this and i'm asking a lot of you and it's a weekly show i do it into perpetuity uh it's a lot i know i know what it's like to have like a weekly deadline for something
0: oh yeah well i i really don't have a problem with the weekly deadline because you also map it out so far in advance. It's really quite simple for me. It's more about just when I want to slack off on my regular work by drawing something fun for creative elements.
1: (laughs) If you made it this far, kudos to you for humoring me and listening to me catch up with my sister. I know this is a little bit of a departure from our normal episode, but I also know she'll probably be writing for one of your favorite TV shows in the not too distant future. Emily has had a huge impact on me as a person, a creator, and a weirdo, and I'm super, super appreciative of the illustrations she's done for this show. I don't think the show would have grown the way that it has if not for the little touches like this that show how much care and intention I'm putting into it. If you want to learn more about Emily and her work, I'd highly recommend following Emily F. Klaus on Twitter, Party Oatmeal on Instagram, or her website, emilyfklaus.com. Links to all of that are in the show notes. Thank you, Emily, for being on the show and making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Todd Hunter for mixing the show while he's moving in Barbados and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at jklaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week.